For our second lesson, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, our same passage of Scripture with just a little addition so that we can pick up where we left off last week. If you recall, those of you who were here last Sunday, we began by talking about, since it was Pentecost Sunday, uh, the Holy Spirit and His gifts. Now, we could not, of course, touch on all of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, there are various ways of counting those gifts. Some people count 19 gifts of the Spirit, and there are nine gifts at least mentioned in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Also, we are instructed that the Holy Spirit works in us as the body of Christ. It's interesting that in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you receive an account of how the blessed Holy Spirit came upon the Holy Virgin Mary, and the Lord Jesus was given his earthly body by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we read about how he has given his mystical body which is the church. And so Paul wishes to speak uh, to our hearts about this. I'm beginning at verse 25 of chapter 12, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it and God has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing helps administrations various kinds of tongues all are not apostles are they all are not prophets are they all are not teachers are they all are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child and think as a child, 
reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as also I have been fully known. But now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. May God bless to our understanding this part of his word. Last week we were talking about the church as the body of Christ. And I began reading today with verse 25. If you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians to verse 25. And then uh, if you do not have your Bible, you can take your hymn book and turn to selection 59, uh, where 1 Corinthians 13 is printed for you. And I think it might be helpful. You will remember that there was trouble in the church in Corinth. And one of the reasons for the trouble that existed there, and I am so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ has in his body the church all different kinds of people, and that in his great providence he called such a servant as Paul and blessed him with such wonderful instruction of the Holy Spirit that he could write under the inspiration of the Spirit the very word of God for us here in Montreat, so that this passage of Scripture speaks to our own minds and to our own hearts and enables us to love one another and to seek one another's good. Now, you remember that in the church in Corinth, uh, Paul had gone there and had spent some 18 months in this big metropolis of over 500,000 people. He was next to a Jewish synagogue. He went there and showed how that Jesus fulfilled all of the promises of the Old Testament as the Messiah. Many became believers in the Lord Jesus. And there were some people there who were eloquent. There, were some, there was a wonderful man by the name of Apollos who was a gifted orator and speaker. Uh, he was a part of that group in Corinth. But once Paul had left Corinth, he had a, a, a person from Chloe's household to come to him with reports of some trouble back in the church at Corinth. There were people who were jealous because Paul had baptized one of their members. There were people who were saying that Peter had baptized them and therefore they were superior to the, ones, to the one that Paul had baptized. There were others who were saying that Apollos, the gifted preacher, had been the one who had instructed them. And then there were others who said that they were better than either the group that followed Peter or, or Apollos or Paul. They said, we follow Christ, as though Christ were a part of their division. Well, now Paul had to spend uh, almost seven chapters of his letter in correcting uh, the, div the divisiveness that had occurred there. There were people who were suing one another and going to courts before pagans. He had to talk to them. People who were guilty of incest, notorious immorality. Uh, there were people who were greatly gifted. And we sometimes have the idea that it greatly gifted people are wonderful people. They are wonderful people. And they can be wonderfully mean to each other at times too. You see, sometimes people take the gifts which God has given to them to build up his body, which is the church. And instead of building up the body, they fight each other with the gifts. 
And so he has to correct them. They're like children in a playpen who pick up gifts of the Spirit as toys and bop each other over the head with their gifts. One says, I speak in tongues, and you don't speak in tongues, so I'm better than you. And another says, well, I'm smarter than you. I've got these great board scores, and I can do this, and you can't do that. And so they were lauding it over one another, and Paul is correcting this. Now he tells them that the church is to be like the body of Christ. If something goes wrong with my body so that it is not responding, it's a serious symptom of trouble. Nearly two years ago in the city of London, I tried to get up one night after uh, having been down on my knees. I started to stand up and I fell to the floor. My two sons who were with me grabbed me on either side and both of them yelled at the same time, Dad, they knew that something was wrong. I thought simply that my leg had gone to sleep. Then my arm was affected and I knew that something was wrong with me. I had had a stroke. Something had occurred in my brain. It had affected one side of my body. And Paul is telling us that the body needs to work together. And if it's not working together, then something is wrong. And we need to get it working together. And he's going to tell us how it is to work together. It's to work together through love. And uh, uh, when there are symptoms that tell us something is wrong, then we need correction and we need help at it. And Paul wants us to know in verse 25 that there should be no division. Spiritual gifts should not be the basis of our separating. We should not say to a person who speaks in tongues, we don't need you, you go somewhere else to church. And the person who speaks in tongues should not say to us, we don't need you, we go to sleep in your service. We're going to go somewhere else to service. Well, that's divisiveness, that's cutting asunder the fellowship and that here is condemned. There should be no schism, there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now this is the way a church is meant to operate. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And we have to respond with the love of Christ. In September 1971, a young black man joined this church. He stood here in the presence of this congregation, became a member of the Montreat Church. He later became a member of the Phi Theta Kappa in the college. He spent almost three years here. He went off to Gordon College. Two weeks ago in Detroit, Michigan, he was arrested for murder, and he's in the Wayne County Jail now there. I wrote a letter Friday to a person in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and another letter yesterday. Two weeks ago when this knowledge first came to me, one of the people in our congregation here who faithfully attend and who knows how to respond to this sort of thing the moment it was heard, began to assist. I didn't know how to evaluate the first reports, but I knew to pray. And I thought of two people in our congregation who never come to the forefront. You'd be amazed at the work that's done by people whose names are never in the bulletin, who have worked for 
six or more years out at the juvenile evaluation center dealing with hard and difficult people Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, year after year after year. Talk about social action. They practice what the rest of us talk about. Well, the body cares for one another, so we must pray for this young man. And we must try to do what we can to be helpful there. If one member suffers, all suffer. And we are told that here. When, when I had the stroke, I knew I was in trouble and that I needed assistance and help. Now you are Christ's body, says Paul, and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings. That's an interesting way of putting it. Gifts, plural, of healings, plural. Now this would indicate to me that there are healings by natural means and healings by extraordinary means. And we should have room to all healing. Ultimately comes from God, but we have a right to pray in faith for healing. There are helps. You remember last week I said that the Greek in back of this word indicates one who sees you trying to lift a heavy load and comes to your assistance to help you with it. Gifts of helps to help you lift it. I couldn't help but think this morning when Tommy Belk was joining our church, he and Donna. I thought about them coming here in the presence of the congregation, taking their sacred vows for their little one and their own responsibility and obligations to that little one. Now I remember reading of how Charles Evan Hughes, when he was appointed Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, moved to Washington, D.C., and on the first Sunday he was in Washington, he went to the Baptist church and became a member of the Baptist church there. It was the custom in that church to come down the aisle and people were presented. There was a Chinese laundryman who had moved from San Francisco and he came forward and he, he stood on one side of the platform. There were other people coming to be presented and they all went to one side of the platform and stood away from the humble Chinese man. But when Chief Justice Hughes came forward, he went over and stood beside the Chinese man so that that man would feel no embarrassment to help him to feel at home and easy there. Nothing hurts me more when someone says, well, I couldn't come to your church. The people up there all go to college and they're dressed differently from what we are. Any person ought to be able to come here to church. And don't you criticize a person who comes because of his clothing or even if he's got long hair or a beard. What difference does that make? Jesus had long hair. Moses probably had a long beard. That doesn't matter. We need to make each other feel welcome. And when we don't, we are not practicing what the Holy Spirit wishes us to practice, which is the love. If you notice, Jesus could always be comfortable if it was with the woman at the well of Samaria, a notorious sinner, he could communicate to her. Why? Because she knew intuitively that he had a concern for her as a person. And when we show that, we're a part of it. And the body of Christ should be like that. So God has appointed those to be helps administrators, people who can organize various kinds of tongues. And I don't see any way of precluding this from the New Testament. It's there. It's taught. 
Um, and it's a, a valid New Testament gift, in my opinion. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? And the evident answer is no. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? The evident answer is no. All do not speak with tongues, do they? And the evident answer is no. All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now he's going to teach us how we can get along with our gifts. I show you a still more excellent way. And now he comes into this 13th chapter, which is one of the greatest passages in Scripture. And believe you me, it would never have existed had there not been a hassle about spiritual gifts. And so we can be thankful for that when it brings us here. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. A noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. They are uh, instruments of noise. Uh, if someone should say, I'm going to come and make a, a concert in Gaither Chapel, and what I'm going to do is have a cymbal solo. No one would come. Uh, who wants to hear a cymbal solo? No one goes down to a cut-rate record shop and says, give me an eight-track tape of noise. I just want noise. Some of it sounds that way, but it, it, uh, uh, I, I just want noise. You see, well, Paul says here, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, what if I've got a glorious voice? What if I have the gift of an unknown tongue that's eloquent, so eloquent that people identify it with the language of the angels, but I do not have love? All I'm doing is attracting attention to myself. And you know what happens when I do that? I am attracting attention to myself in such a way that I am robbing myself of what God wishes to do in me. God wishes to use in me his Holy Spirit to guide whatever gift I have received of him so that it builds up the body and blesses other people. And I rob myself when I do that. And you know, Paul begins this the right way. He doesn't start off by saying to the Corinthians, though you speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I simply attract attention to myself. If I have the gift of prophecy, what if I've got all of the Schofield charts memorized? What, what if I, 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 I don't even need the chart? I can make up new charts. Uh, if I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries and all knowledge. Notice the use of the word all. What if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith? and give all my possessions to the poor. Notice how sweeping and powerful that statement is. And those are gifts. Those are gifts there. The gift of tongues is a gift. There are five gifts lifted here, listed here in the first three verses. The gift of tongue, and yet if I don't use that gift in love, then I cause division in the body. I attract attention to myself. I hurt, and I bring harm to it. The gift of prophecy, 
my knowledge of the scriptures, my stirring utterance of knowledge. What a tremendous thing. They were not far. Corinth was not far from Athens, and the Greeks were great admirers of, of those who were intellectual, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. Uh, they had great learning that had been given there in Greece. And so here, uh, they would have admired knowledge. But what if I have all knowledge, says Paul, all that there is to know? What if I know everything there is to know? And what if I have all faith? Now, this is not speaking here of saving faith, but the kind of faith that would permit me to run a rescue mission uh, and feed orphans and to do other things like that. All faith. Faith so as to remove mountains. He must have by this time heard the statement of Jesus uh, about faith that could move mountains. But I do not have love. He says it's nothing. Nothing. In other words, all of my, every sermon that I've ever preached, if I didn't preach it in love, it's nothing. Every visit I ever made, if I didn't do it in love, led by the Holy Spirit, it's nothing. The counterfeit of love would be this giving of all my possessions to feed the poor. You know what some people did? They sold their bodies as slaves and took the money from it to give away. And some of them were even like the Hebrew children who went into the fiery furnace because of their faith in God. Paul says, what if I did that, but I didn't do it in love? He says, it will profit nothing. You can sometimes find a mentality that thinks that because you do things that you can substitute those things for love. But nothing could offend love more than to offer something as a substitute for it. Now, those, those first three verses are to teach you that love edifies. Love builds up the church. It helps us to work together. And now he's going to show us how it does it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Oh, what can happen in a church? The, the Corinthians wanted to use the church as a platform on which to display their talents. And uh, they were jealous of one another. And that's a terrible thing. But love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. It keeps no score of wrongs. My, what a difference that makes. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't that a tremendous set of virtues that are given there to show us that this quality of love is meant to build up the church. And when I do not exercise my gift in love, I rob myself of the joy and I robbed the church of what would build it up. And then the last part of it from verse 8 through 13, it shows the permanence of love. We rob God of his glory because the whole purpose of it, we are saved in order that we may glorify God. As our catechism teaches us, we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as the epistle to the Ephesians tells us over and over again that we were called out for the purpose of his glory. And we are to bring glory to God and we will 
bring glory to God when we practice what is put here. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. There will come a time when we will no longer need the gift of prophecy. All the prophecies will be fulfilled. If there are tongues, they will cease. There will no longer be any need for the tongues. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. You know, when these walls were built here, they had to erect scaffolding out on the outside to put these stones in place. But when they finished building the building, they don't leave the scaffolding there. They tear the scaffolding down and remove it away so that you can see it. And Paul says all of these gifts that you uh, that we can become divisive about, all of these gifts are like scaffolding. One day God will complete and fulfill it all, and then the scaffolding will be taken down and done away with. And we're not to be like children. When I was a child, he says, I used to speak as a child and to think as a child. You know, you can be that way with gifts. You can say, my bike is better than your bike. You've got a five-speed bike. I've got a ten-speed bike. Uh, we, can, we can brag on our gifts that way, but who gave the gifts? God gave the gifts. He is sovereign, and he gives them as he desires to give them, and our praise should be to him. And so he tells us not to be childish about the gifts. Uh, but to remember that these gifts are to be used for his glory and to remember the, uh, there is a, 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 a category of excellence in these gifts here, a rough classification of the gifts. He tells us that some gifts are more useful than other gifts are because he wishes us to, to classify things and use them accordingly. And he wants us to use them that way. Uh, I need to use my eyes right, I need to use my hand right, I need to use my foot right. I need all of these things. They are helpful to me. God meant for them to be used, and we're to work together as a body and as a team. And when we don't work together as a team, we get in trouble. When you go to the doctor, he classifies things. He looks at your eyes or your tongue or your ears. He, he needs to know those things. And so he, he classifies. Now here, gifts are important. And he wants us to know they're important, but we're to use them in the right way. He then brings it to a close by saying, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall I know fully, just as also I have been fully known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Make love your aim. Now then, last week I went down to Charlotte and spoke to the Christian professional golfers who had come to the Kemper National Golf Tournament. It was a wonderful thrill to see people like Rick Massengale and Kermit Zorley and, and others who were there with their Bibles and who were interested in the things of God, who have their families with them and who wish to see that they are brought into a knowledge of Christ too. And I asked one of those great golfers a question, which I've often asked professional athletes. I asked him if he had in his mind a perfect shot when he started to make a swing. And he said, yes, 
And I said, uh, you know, I've asked this question of two or three other great athletes that I've known. I asked uh, uh, Bobby Richardson one time, if when he played with Tony Kubek, who played shortstop, if they could had something going where they could sense what the other one was going to do because they worked together so much. And he told me that they had worked together so long over such a period of time that they knew how fast or how slow to throw the ball. They could tell whether it was going to be a fake or what was going to happen. And he said the errors that were usually made would be when someone else was in, but that these people uh, could sort of read each other's mind. They had that intuitive understanding of what the other was going to do. Raymond Berry told me, and I asked him the same question, I asked him if Unitas could tell when he was going to fake the great uh, Hall of Fame receiver. He said that he and Unitas had thrown passes to each other so many times that as a receiver, he could, uh, Unitas could tell what Berry was going to do when the opposing team couldn't. And then the golfer told me the other night that he pictured in his mind the perfect stroke before he would swing through with his club. He tried to get that stroke in mind. And so here we have a picture of love that Paul has described for us in detail to help us in the exercise of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has brought to the church. All of us have at least one gift. None of us is to be jealous of the other person's gift. All of us are to remember that these gifts are important, that they are to be governed by the word of God, that they are varied, and that these gifts are to be used for the good of the whole church. They are not to be used to brag about. And here we are taught that if we do not use them in the right way, we rob ourselves, we rob the church, we rob God of his glory. Now then what happens is that this love is the lubricant which makes the church work. This is the perfect picture that we want to get into our mind. And Paul could not have had this picture had he not seen it lived out in Jesus Christ. You can take out the word love and substitute the name of Jesus and you get a perfect picture of Jesus. And I'm sure that the scribe when Paul had finished dictating this portion of scripture must have looked up with his eyes full of tears and astonishment at what he had just heard, because the Spirit of God had revealed that which is the most necessary thing for the working of the church. This gift of the Holy Spirit is the more excellent way. This fruit of the Holy Spirit is essential uh, to our operating. We need this love in order to lubricate uh, the church so that it works smoothly, some people are almost like taking a handful of sand and throwing onto the machinery. It grits and grinds and tears things up. That's not the way it's to be. But this is to make it smooth. And who made it that way? Jesus. And he made it that way because he went to the cross. And I close. Over in London some years ago, there was a countryman who came in his tweeds from the highlands to the city of London. He went into one of the great art galleries there, He'd never been in an art gallery before, a country bumpkin, an old man, and he stood before a magnificent painting of the crucifixion of Jesus. He had never seen such a thing in his whole life. And when he looked up and saw Jesus on that cross, the old man's eyes filled up with tears, 
and he said out loud, God bless him. I love him. And when he said that, a person there in the gallery came over close to him and said, I love him too, and reached out and held the old man's hand. And another person looking up at that painting said, I love him also. And another person looked and said, he's my savior. And before long, there was a whole crowd of people who had united and held hands when they looked at the cross and they saw the love of God displayed there in God's Son dying on that cross. Now that love of God on that cross makes this love which is reflected here in this passage possible in our lives. But we too have to be crucified with Christ and die to self that the Holy Spirit may produce this in us. Let us bow in prayer. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.